Hello and welcome to the Carers Link podcast. I'm John and I'm your host today. In this week's episode, we'll be focusing on dementia. To help us and guide us through this massive topic, we have two guests. The first one is Linda Hutton from the Stirling Dementia Centre and she'll be joining me in a few moments to provide us with an awareness of what dementia is, how people with living dementia should be expected to be treated and some top tips for carers. In the second half of the podcast, we will be listening to an interview we recorded with Michelle Candlish, who works for Curtis here in Eastern Bartonshire, and we'll be looking at how support is provided locally. So this is a slightly longer podcast than usual, but I think it's worth it. Moving on then, it's a great privilege to welcome Linda Hutton to the podcast. Hi, Linda, how are you doing? Good afternoon, um, and thank you for inviting me along. And thanks for agreeing to do this podcast. You're very welcome, and I look forward to it. So maybe for the, the benefit of listeners, can you tell us a bit about yourself? Who is Linda Hutton, and what do you do? Aha, here we go. Um, Linda Hutton, and I, my background is a registered mental health nurse uh, many, many years ago. But in more recent times, um, and worked in all different settings in the community and hospitals, care homes, um, but more recently within the community, working with families and individuals living with dementia and looking at what we can do to support. And that was through different group therapies. But now, and for the last three, four years, coming up. Um, I've been working at the Dementia Services Development Centre and it's all very much around about education and understanding dementia and how it impacts on individuals. So the programme that I cover mainly is working with um, families who are living and supporting with somebody um, living with dementia but also volunteers and how understanding dementia can have um, such a big impact on, on people's lives when supporting and living with dementia. So I mean, you touched on that a wee bit, but what other things does the centre do to support people who are living with the condition? The centre offers um, consultancy, the centre offers, we work with the research team as well and at the University of Stirling it's not about um, finding the cure for dementia, it's very much about how we support people to live with dementia and the research is very much carried out with individuals and families living with dementia. So projects that are running or research projects it's about how on a daily basis dementia may impact on the person it's about the environment around about so there's research teams working in all different areas um, and as I say it's more about the psychological and social well-being of individuals because we know that um, dementia there's just changes going on in the brain but it's about well it's not just about those changes it's about the environment people are in psychologically and socially so there's research teams there there's publications we do other training and that can be for for nurses social workers um, as I've said, families, it's, there's training events that can be one day long. They could be, you know, masters um, studying and masters dementia studies for uh, over um, three years. So there's lots of different levels of educational training as well at the university. Um, and we go all over, it can be UK wide, Scotland, um, but also internationally. And it's, and it's and we can look at training that's bespoke to different organisations too. So there's, there's a wide array of what we do, but also we have the design team. 
because it's very much about understanding how buildings can impact and it's about how we can look at research and how we can modify um, newly built buildings but also about how we can adapt people's homes as well um, slight changes so we cover quite uh, an, a considerable amount at the university and, and just to, to to talk about that a wee bit more i know that we've um, organized visits before to the you've got a, a sort of a, a demonstration flat and in, in the upstairs of the center and uh, there's lots of things and we'll probably get back to that when we talk about tips in a, in a minute yeah. but I, I think it's to say that it's really well worth uh, uh, going along and maybe i know at the moment we can't do it because of the pandemic but it's certainly the visits I've been involved in, and and of course we've had we've had members of uh, of, of the dementia centre to come coming along and and have done top tips with the carers before, and and some things you wouldn't think about uh, that, that would be really helpful. And I, I, well, I don't want to pre preempt what we're going to talk about, but but it's it's, it's certainly I, I would my own impression was it's very impressive um, that how much thought has gone into, and maybe things you wouldn't normally have thought about in, in terms of how to 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 adapt things. Yeah, very much so. And that is part of um, um, when people come along to the centre for the training, there's often a tour of the technology suite, which was um, built in 2002. And it's set up as if it was in, in a care home. Um, the room, the bedroom, the, the lounge and dining room. It's a hospital room now as well. But it's actually about the, the makeup of those rooms, the contrasting colours, how it flows, how people who have cognitive changes um, perceive the environment round about. So there's hints and tips when you're walking round about, you get ideas as well. Now, as you've said rightly so, the centre's closed at the moment because of, of COVID. So, um, but if people go on to the, um, the DSDC website, there's actually a virtual tour. So you can actually um, do a tour online around about the technology suite and you can see, and it gives you um, the, the knowledge behind why things have been done in a certain way. So that's something that people can tap into as well at the moment in time, at this moment in time. That's brilliant, actually. And what we'll do is, um, after we've I've recorded this, we'll put that in the show notes, the link to that, so people can yeah. make a look. So I think um, uh, uh, the subject of this, the podcast, is dementia, and I, and I suppose uh, we should really start at the beginning uh, of maybe saying what is dementia, uh, what does what does that mean, what does that term mean, and what does it involve. Yeah, um, dementia, and there's still a lot of confusion around about what dementia is. Um, and some people will say, my husband has Alzheimer's, but he doesn't have dementia. And what, what, how we can explain that is if you think of an umbrella, and the name of that umbrella is dementia, but there's so many different types of conditions below that that contribute to, and, and that can be where we'll hear Alzheimer's is one of those conditions, vascular dementia. We've got frontal temporal lobe, we've got, um, you know, we've got dementia with Lewy bodies, and we've got mixed dementias. So dementia is the umbrella term, but the conditions that lie below that umbrella term are the ones that people are diagnosed with. So, you know, the, the prevalence, um, for Alzheimer's, um, for over 65s, it's, it's the, the, the most um, known one. Um, and that's where what's happening is we are seeing, it's, it's, it's shrinkage of the brain people talk about. But what's happening is the changes are, are global. So that means all the different areas of the brain 
are are being impacted upon. Whereas, and that's more of a, a slow progression. So we might see slight changes in somebody, but gradually those changes um, get worse through time. Now, the second most common um, is vascular dementia, but that's more of a, a if you think about the blood supply to the brain, it's more along the lines of um, blood clots. And if you think about stroke, it's there's a blockage. So therefore, the blood supply, the oxygen, the nutrients aren't going to a certain um, area of the brain. So that blockage in the blood supply to the brain, it means that those brain cells will be damaged or may die off. So with vascular dementia, what you're more likely to see is a step-like um, progression. So somebody has um, a blockage, so therefore that supply of nutrients, oxygen, is not getting to the brain. Therefore, after that, that person's ability um, may have changed from the day before. So therefore, their memory may be impacted, but it depends on which part of the brain as well has been impacted. But it could well be that you see a slight improvement, but that person may well stay on that plateau for a period of time. But if they have another episode where there's another blockage, another area of the brain will be impacted because the blood supply is not getting there, the nutrients. So that area will die off. So then you'll see that the person won't necessarily have the, the same abilities again the next day. So you'll see a drop in abilities. So that's that's vascular and that's um, more step-like. And it's it's one of the conditions where high blood pressure may, um, you know, um, lead to, to that dietary intake. This, it's the one of the dementia which we can do something about. We can watch our diet, we can look at exercise and keep an eye on our, our blood pressure. Um, whereas with Alzheimer's, we don't have any control over that. And there's still the research and, and looking for a, a cure. There's medication that can possibly um, slow it down, but we still don't have a cure. And then we have um, mixed dementias, which could be somebody's got Alzheimer's, but they've also got vascular dementia. Mm -hmm. But I think it's really important for people to know what type of dementia the person has that they're supporting, because it gives an indication of what we might expect or what the symptoms may be, because there's another type of dementia that we're seeing more and more prevalent, and that's um, the frontotemporal lobe. Now, the difference with that one is that it's not necessarily memory that's impacted initially. It may well be changes in behaviour, personality, problem solving and disinhibited um, behaviour also. So mm -hmm. if we're seeing the changes in the person and we're thinking, oh, my goodness, you know, we have to think but there's no memory issues. And we might be thinking this person's just been really rude or, you know, I can't quite understand what's going on. It can be a type of dementia also. So it's just being aware of the different types, because if we have a better understanding of that, it might help us in our, our supportive roles as well. And am I, am I right in thinking there, there are other conditions that, that have similar sort of symptoms on and and um the to to dementia I'm, I'm thinking of um i think there's been some recent research about people with um um and down syndrome that, that yes. they are living longer that, yes. that they then develop symptoms very similar to, to dementia yeah the prevalence because of um as you rightly say people living with down syndromes are down syndrome are are living longer so therefore, we're seeing a greater increase now of, of people developing um, dementia. And it is dementia, 
you know, and so it is is about how we support and then a much younger stage. So it can be some people in their 40s, you know, 50s, um, where we're seeing a, a big rise in that area. And a lot of it is down to people living longer as well. And that's where the prevalence with, with dementia also, as an older adult, we're living longer. Um, yeah. So therefore, we're seeing the increase in numbers of people being diagnosed with dementia also. Maybe to put things in perspective, how many people actually are living with a diagnosis in Scotland? In Scotland, it's estimated at around about 90,000 people okay. are living with, with dementia. Throughout the UK, the estimation is around about 850,000. And um, alongside that, we've got unpaid carers, families, um, unpaid carers. This is around about well, in the region of 670,000 um, families supporting loved ones who are living with dementia throughout the UK. So, and, you know, now that um, people are looking at ageing in place, you know, um, two thirds of people living with dementia are living at home. So the support is primarily coming from families and, and the voluntary sector as well. Absolutely. And and just, just to say um from from our perspective, from KS Link perspective, out of the nearly five thousand people that are registered with us, um it's about thirty-three percent uh it's it's related to dementia. That sort of equates to over fifteen fifteen hundred carers. Yeah. Um and so it is it is quite prevalent. Um and, and I think we're talking about people people who have got a diagnosis, but we don't know how many people actually may have a dementia, but just are either not acknowledging it or it's not being properly diagnosed. And sometimes yeah. there's mild cognitive behaviour. Um, what 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 do you know about that? Is there any research being done on on sort of what may be the wider picture? I think as well that yes, um, the the wider picture as well for diagnosis and and for people who some people living with mild cognitive impairment may go on to develop um, a dementia. But what we're also seeing is people are living with um, uh, dementia often on average it's three years before they get a diagnosis so there can be people who are unsure of what's going on and and for many um it can be a relief when they do get the diagnosis but it can often take on average up to three years before because people start thinking oh it's just part and parcel of um, getting older I'm a bit forgetful and this can go on for quite a period of time and other other people will, will go along with that yes you're just getting a wee bit older and you're getting forgetful but for some people it does um, go on to develop into a condition and the condition can often be um, dementia and it's about how we can support people through that that diagnosis as well some people won't want they know that something's going on, but they wouldn't necessarily want to go for that 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 diagnosis. And sometimes it's families that are the ones that kind of push for for some kind of answer. But for some people, it's a relief when they get that diagnosis. They know what's going on. Then others can have um, depression, but they may also present with their concentration's poor. They feel that their, their memory is going, but a lot of the time it can be um, depression as well. And sometimes there has been instances where a person's been diagnosed with dementia when they've actually had, had depression. So it's about the diagnosis as well and what, um, you know, what, what 
techniques are used and, and diagnosed as well. But And that's the other side of it too, with dementia. We might think once a person's diagnosed, we might see the changes and we're thinking it's down part and parcel of the progression of the condition. But a lot of the time, people are depressed at the same time. So if they are, there's medication, there's antidepressants that could possibly be introduced and we might see um, some um, increase in, in their function and then. So it's just being aware that um, with, with dementia as well, there's other things that could be going on for that, that person. Um, and with mild cognitive impairment, it's about supporting people um, to the best of abilities. And if there are concerns, it's about going and seeing their GP as well, um, because we are seeing the prevalence, we're seeing younger people um, being diagnosed and more recently there's some research but certainly in, in practice as well um, people who living with frontal temporal lobe um, they seem to be um, younger as well so it's just being aware there's there's different types of dementia out there and how it impacts on people can be can be very different as well so it's having that understanding of what what type of um, dementia a person may have. So um, talking more about support, um, what can be helpful when supporting someone living with dementia, um, i.e. what would be your sort of main top tips? Well, there's so many um, and I hope I get um, to cover most of, of what's in my, my head here. But the first and foremost thing is that we have to know from the get-go, if somebody has a diagnosis of dementia, we have to know and understand straight away. That means there's changes going on in the person's brain. So therefore, we have to already know that they may not be able to function as well as they have done. Now, this doesn't always happen overnight. So we, we're often seeing those changes. But what's happening is normally then, um, when we talk to one another like we're talking just now, the messages and, and, and the flow of conversation comes freely because our brain is functioning to its full capacity. So those different parts of the brain are working together. Now, when somebody has a diagnosis of, diagnosis of dementia, means that that flow isn't going to be the same. So we have to understand from the get-go that this is why a person may be presenting in the ways that they do, because we know there's changes going on in the brain. Now, what that then means is there's different parts of the brain um, play a different role. So therefore, um, you know, it may well be if somebody has damage to the frontal lobe, it may well be you see changes in their, their, way, their personality, how they present and um, their behaviour, problem solving as well, um, disinhibited behaviour. So they might start acting in, in a way they've never have done before. But we have to remember that it's because of what's going on in the brain. And we have to step back and once we know that somebody has a diagnosis of dementia, we put that label to the side. We have to put the label to the side because we have to see the person at the heart of the condition. We can't just say that's because of dementia. We have to understand that, you know, people talk about changes in behaviour. But sometimes for a person, if they can't, because their brain's not working the way it used to, they maybe can't express themselves the same. They maybe can't verbalise what they're trying to say. So therefore, they may um, try and verbalise that in a different manner. So it might be in the way they behave. Now, if we're talking about changes within the brain, what often happens is that um, when we're asking somebody a question, for example, we have to give that person time to respond. 
because those messages are not going to flow freely. So therefore, we have to give the person a chance because it's like the, the broken bridge. You're going to work, you always cross the bridge, but the bridge is broken. So therefore, we have to think, is there another route? And we know it's going to take longer. But sometimes there's not another route, so we can't get to work. Now, if we think about that with um, helping to understand the processes within the brain, we ask someone a question. We know already it may be difficult for them to respond automatically. So therefore, we have to give that person a chance. Like with the bridge, he has to find another route. So therefore, give the person time, let them or try and help them to, to respond. Give them a chance because often it's our own being we jump in and we answer for somebody or the person hasn't responded so we go off and just but that can um, cause frustrations for that person as well because they might just have been about to to give that answer and and we've lost interest or we've answered so that can cause frustration so it's understanding that the things we ask people we have to make sure they've, they've understood what's been asked of them as well. And I think that's key is we have to see the person at the heart of what's going on. We have to understand there's changes going on in the brain. Therefore, the person's not just being difficult, it's because the processing is very different as well. So we need to be able to support the person, see them, and there will be changes and it will be that they maybe can't do what they've done before, but there will be areas of that that they can still do. And it's about patience and it's about trying to um, support and maintaining, sustaining those skills that that person still has. If we keep reflecting and saying, you should be able to do this, you've always been able to do this, that's not going to help that person either. Mm -hmm. it's, it's where we step in when we see the difficulties arise, rather than stepping in before giving that person a chance. So it's about promoting um, independence, and it's about how we support, as in, um, with the, the changes that are going on as well, sometimes noise, if there's too much noise going on, we might see a change in someone's behaviour, because hearing can also be impacted. And what we mean by that is um, noises can't, you know, there's, there's, there's not the same filter like with ourselves. It might be that we, we hear the street noise, we hear children playing in the park or somebody's in the other room and we can still focus. But for somebody who's living with dementia, that can often be impacted So because the filter's not there. So they're hearing the children playing, they're hearing the, the traffic noise, they're hearing the washing machine jumping about in the kitchen. You know, all of these things can be really difficult. So therefore, knowing if there's too much noise around about and we see somebody's getting more anxious um, or agitated, then often it's about putting ourselves in that person's place. Sit down, close our eyes, because when we close our eyes, we can often hear better as well. And what happens is we can pick up on if it's too noisy. So it's, it's being aware of the surroundings as well, the environment the person's in, and what we can do to, to support them as well. It, there's all probably a, a balance between uh, knowing the right amount of stimulation. So you don't want to go the opposite direction where there's none, because no. that, that, would, that, that would be um, equally uh, an issue and a problem for that individual, yeah. I would think. Very much so. And, and stimulation is, is a huge part for if somebody, and especially in the present climate, and that's where, you know, people are, they're maybe not necessarily going out the same. They're not able to go along to maybe the groups they go to. They haven't got the befriender coming in. So therefore, um, lives have changed so much and people are feeling more isolated. But stimulation can be lacking as well. Now, if somebody's sitting in the same four walls all the time, 
that's going to have a bearing on on how they they can function as well and their well-being so stimulation is it's not about having um all the different noises um, going on what you're wanting is to think about right what's meaningful for that person you know if we were sat in and just the same four walls all the time that would have a bearing on our well-being as well so it's about well what What's of interest to that person? What is meaningful to them? And if somebody has had a particular type of music that they've listened to over the years, and that's been something that's been pleasurable to them, then it's thinking about, right, what are the songs? What music was it? Now, one daughter had said to me when I was at an event, she says, but I have the radio on for dad all the time, but it doesn't seem to make a difference. Now, the radio has um, different music. It has people talking in between. Now, for that person, that's not always going to be beneficial. So therefore, it's about um, tapping into the music specific to that person, if it's been jazz, if it's folk music. And often, you know, people will hear about the, the playlist as well. We're pulling that music together. But more and more families have, have started to use iPads and maybe download the specific type of music to that person and that can stimulate is about well-being as well some people they've always loved watching movies and for some people they still have the concentration if something is meaningful to a person they are more likely to engage in that as well so we need to think about for um stimulation when people are at home well what can we be um what can we be doing Life story work, that's something else. Um, I don't know if people have heard about that, mm -hmm. but it's very much about understanding the person and their history, where they were born, if they had siblings, where they went to school, um, you know, where, if they got married, where they worked, their family, what's important. Um, because we need to capture what's important in people's lives. And, and this moment in time could be the time where we can capture that information because a lot of people have got time in their hands and they're thinking of ways to stimulate the person and sometimes it's working together so we might have the old photographs so even if you have um, a scrapbook or make your own scrapbook what you're looking for is photographs throughout that person's history yeah. and people will say but we don't have photographs of where he was born now with technology we can Google, we can find the street that we were born in, the hospital we were born in, the, the, the street we lived in, the school we went to. But what is really important and for the stimulation is that this is building the person's story. It's preserving personhood as well, who they are and what's meaningful to them. But it brings people to closer together as well, working through this and this journey together. And even for our grandchildren, being a part of that. But it's important that we get the photograph but we have the text there. We write who's in the photograph then and how are they important to this person? Because then the life story book, that, is, um, that can move with that person. So if somebody goes to daycare, it could well be that this goes with that person because then it's preserving that person and their history. Yeah. And then it can help people engage in conversation. So it means that everybody gets to know them for the person and not just that label of, of dementia. So it's thinking about things that are, are meaningful to people, but also meaningful can be somebody helping with the housework. Someone at home um, setting the table. Okay, sometimes people might get it round the wrong way. Does it really matter? Because, you know, it's about being meaningful for that person and occupying them as well. But it's also about, it could be, there's repetition, somebody keeps coming, we're in the kitchen, we're cooking, somebody keeps coming in and saying, 
oh, and asking the same question over. It could well be that they need stimulation. They're bored. Yeah. Can they do something and be part of that activity that you're involved with? Um, just want to jump in here. Um, I'm, I'm wondering, just as you were talking there, um, the, the importance of, you know, not leaving things too late. So when somebody's starting to be aware of, you know, symptoms of what they might think might be dementia, is is starting at that point. So being proactive about, um, you know, getting notes about their choices and their their preferences and and their stories. And and yeah. and I'm wondering how much of that is actually being rolled out. Is that something that I know there's a lot. I probably don't want to go into all the strategies and stuff. But is that something that's been taken on board so that at the earliest stage, uh, people are being reminded of that and people are being um, uh, sort of in, motivated to. To, to, to create a life story for that individual? Yeah, it's becoming more and more prevalent. Um, and there are, you know, practices out there that are, it's part of um, the ongoing, and, and for example, there's um, a local organisation that as part of intergenerational work with um, school children come along to the daycare, um, they've started doing life story work with individuals because you're, you're so right as well, because we want to start that, we should all be doing that now. We want to start that as soon as, as we can because what we really want to do is capture the perspective of the person. And because what's important to them um, may be very different to what's important to their, their spouse or their children. Their perspectives are very different. So the sooner we can um, support people because through life story work, it's more about the person-centered approach. And that's what we want to see, because what we want to do is preserve personhood. We need to preserve that person and see them, not this label of dementia. It's about seeing the person. And through life story work, we can do that. And as that person progresses, if their ability to communicate what's in that life story work, those photographs, we've got the text there that the person who's supporting them or whether it's family come to visit, they can talk through the pictures because they know who's in the pictures and that's meaningful for that person and it's about preserving who they are and about their well-being as well but it's a communication tool also because then we understand this person so if somebody goes into um, a care home and they need more support then their stories with them so if the staff get a chance then they can be reading through and saying oh my goodness I didn't realize you worked there my granddad worked there or there's a connection there already because sometimes it's about how do we we open those gates of communication if we've got that understanding of the person what's been important to them it's about how we we support them to the best of our ability and by doing this and understanding who they are then that is invaluable for through the, the remainder of their, their lives it's, and it can be updated all the time and it also can have those things about if somebody hates the colour pink then we're trying to put something pink on that person you know it is it's having that understanding so it's and and it's about if somebody sleeps with the light on at night um, and we keep putting that light off and that person's becoming distressed if we have that understanding of of what helps somebody to live better when living with dementia then this can be um, a big part of that and it's for any family and every family and it's just little snippets throughout a person's life but they know that we all know when we look at photographs 
it takes us back to a time often um, that can be a jovial time or a happy time. Um, so it's about capturing those feelings because feelings are often still there. So it's it's having that um, that tool there that can really help um, engage with people and but but seeing the person for who they are. And and we, so we've covered you know, communication stimulus um, and and reminiscence. So maybe coming more to sort of the practical side of sort of tips in terms of a person's environment where they actually live what sort of things i know we mentioned it earlier but what sort of things specifically can can be done to to make things easier yeah i think as well is number number one is is you know thinking about the person what's going on for them as well um and understanding the dementia how it's impacting on the person and things that we can do, practical things that we can do, is that if you think about um, somebody, right, we're trying to preserve their skills or maintain independence and helping them to, to function as well as possible for as long as possible. So because of the changes that are going on um, for the person, those familiar environments can change as well. And it's harder for a person to um, find the right door into the bathroom or the, the kitchen or in the cupboards in the kitchen. So if we think about, like, somebody wants a cup of tea, um, you know, we will think, need a cup of tea, we'll go to the kitchen and we make it automatic. Now, when those changes are going on in the brain for somebody, they might have the thought, I could do with a drink. Um, but they get up from the chair, they could be in the sitting room. By the time they get to the kitchen, they're thinking, why have I come here? So, you know, decluttering places at home, that can help people. If we're seeing somebody who's not been as independent, we've said to them, go make yourself a cup of tea, but we know they haven't or they're struggling. It could be when they've got into the kitchen, the work surfaces are, are cluttered. There's so much on there that by the time they get there, they're not drawn to thinking, ah, I've come for a cup of tea. So often decluttering could be helpful. So if we move most of what's on the work surfaces away and leave what's required by the person. So um, the kettle's there next to the, the sink for filling up. If we can leave some water in it, sometimes that's helpful. But they've had the thought, want a cup of tea, they go to the kitchen. They have to remember to put the water in the kettle. They need to remember to switch that on. They need to find a cup. They need to find the coffee or the sugar, the milk. There's so many, um, you know, individual process and, and that process there that that can be overwhelming for somebody. So if we declutter and just have this, the things out that that person is going to need, that can help to maintain independence at home as well. The same in the sitting room. If there's an awful lot of things round about and the person's struggling to find what they're looking for, see if we can clear um, most things out of the way. And for some people, it will work. But there's other people that are hoarders and they don't want things moved out of the way. They've got their pile of newspapers and that can be a security thing for some people too. So everybody's different, but trial and error. Um, and only step in if the person's struggling. Don't take over. Now, there was one um, family where the lady, after her husband's diagnosis, um, she thought to help him because he was struggling a bit with getting dressed in the mornings, she started to lay all his clothes out. Um, and that happened every day. Now, that actually ended up in um, the husband changing his behaviour because he started becoming verbally aggressive towards his wife. And then they couldn't understand why. He'd always been a placid man. And um, then it was the thinking, well, he's not managing the finances the same. So they took that over completely. The changes in his behaviour were getting to a stage where it could 
it was getting closer to, to physical um, aggression. But eventually it was found out he was, he was still able to verbalise his feelings and he felt that his life had been taken over and that he could still do these things but had been taken over. So it's about allowing people that space to continue to do as much as they can. They might not be able to fully get all the clothes out right, but it's about stepping in or making things simpler for that person to understand. So if somebody's struggling with getting dressed in the morning, could it be that, you know, it's just one, um, you know, outfit that's in the wardrobe? Would that be helpful? Or for some people, they might need that assistance. But if it's OK with them, line out their clothes um, and in the order that they put them on, because for some people, they, they, the sequencing goes. So they can't always um, get the, the order right as well. So decluttering um, thinking about all the different rooms, simplifying things. Now, in the kitchen, Families will often say, but I'm finding things in the, the washing machine. Like there's a cup in the washing machine or there's um, things put in the freezer. Um, if we think about the kitchens and um, if, it, if everything's light coloured or the same, if the tiles are white, the cupboards are white, you know, the walls round about are white. Does the handle on the door actually, is there contrast there? Because there needs to be contrast for that person to see where things are. If you're seeing somebody going through the drawers or all the cupboards, they're struggling to find where things are. So it's thinking about, right, what can we do in this space then? And for some people, it's a matter of all the things the person's most likely to use. Have them in the one cupboard. But if you don't have a glass door cupboard, take the cupboard door off and that person will have that visual. Visuals are really important for people to understand and remember what they're looking for. One lady who lives with dementia, she took a photograph of what was inside the cupboard and she said it was the photograph drew her to the cupboard um, and then she saw what was in it to, to open that door. Um, if you find things in the washing machine, it's because that person knows where it is. They can visually see where that is, whereas behind cupboard doors, they can't necessarily see that. Um, a lady I was speaking to recently, her dad started to put in um, the things that he uses on a shelf and a shelf in the hallway that you wouldn't normally have tins of soup or things like that. And she started to understand it because he could see where that is. Um, so it's, it's understanding and that as well. Light. Get as much daylight in um, as possible. If we're sitting in darkened rooms, there's, there can be um, shadows. And people can misinterpret shadows as well. And they can be seen as dark holes. And holes are frightening and people won't walk over that. They'll try and walk around about it. That can be when we go out for a walk, there's shadows from the trees on the path. You might see somebody tiptoeing around about that. Shadows, so keep as much daylight as possible. Make sure the curtains are open as fully as possible to get that daylight in. Um, you know, having lights on through the day. Um, so it's bright inside. If a person can't get outside, make it as bright as possible inside, because then that can often help um, with sleep patterns as well. If a person stays awake through the day, sleep better in the evening. Mm. And sometimes it's, it's about having less light as well, and because we might start putting night lights in and thinking that'll help the person good, but then we're seeing their sleep pattern um, is disturbed now, and they're maybe up more often. It could be because they don't actually need that light. And sometimes it's the light coming underneath the door that's enough to keep that person awake. The other thing as well, if somebody's going to the bathroom through the night, it's make sure the outside light's off as well, because people can be drawn to that also. So there's little things that we can do in the home that can support people also. 
Something I, I, I'd like to mention all as, as well is people don't always, they're not always aware of mirrors and the impact that mirrors can have. Now, for some people, it could be that as they progress with dementia, they might talk about going to their work or going to pick up the children from school, but you're at the children that are adults now. And, or they talk about there's somebody in, in the house, there's somebody in my room. We know there's nobody there, but it may well be mirrors. There's a reflection from the mirrors, but sometimes the person doesn't recognize themselves in that mirror. So therefore, if you're hearing somebody saying, there's somebody in the bathroom or there's somebody in the house, um, have a look and see if there's reflective surfaces there because try covering them up and see if that makes a difference. Now, not everybody realizes that. And there was one lady I was supporting. She started phoning her son every night um, because she thought there was a boy looking in her window each night. And it turned out it was dark outside. She didn't have blinds. Her curtains were still open. And where she sat, it was her own reflection. And sometimes people can um, be disturbed by that because they don't recognize the person looking back. Now that can also be with a television reflection. So reflections are um, something that if we have an understanding um, of what could happen, um, then we're more aware of right, what can we do to, to help um, support this person as well. But there's, there's all different things. Um, also, um, as I said before, um, keeping noise down if possible and sometimes it may well be that you've always gone out for the family meal and when you're going out you might see the person's either becoming withdrawn or becoming more stressed now it could be because of the background noise there'll be other conversations there could be music on there could be um tables being set and cleared and maybe quite a few different conversations at the table the person's on so it's thinking about right okay could we do this at a quieter time and maybe saying to the family, we'll have try and have one conversation at a time. So it's it's about the stimulation. If there's too much going on, that can be stressful for somebody yeah. as well. So there's lots of different things that can can yeah. help. That's 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 brilliant, Linda. And um, I, as you said, there's there's lots of things, and a lot of those things I think I can only speak for myself. I wouldn't have thought of. Um, and um, so maybe talking about resources and we'll, we'll put a link to these in the show notes but uh, I guess a lot of what you've got you've mentioned will be on um, publications that you have available on your website is that is that right? Yeah. There's also um, we've got 10 helpful hints that are for specifically for um, families and that can be uh, just that understanding of how dementia impacts on the person and the things that we can modify to maybe support that person. How do people access that? You can do that online now. Um, now to do, and I'll I'll send on the link to yourself okay. afterwards as well, John. So um, so people can access that online now because once again we're having difficulties. We we can't get into the building, so therefore we can't distribute them the same. But we can um, get them online. So I can forward that link now. There's different books. Um, one's about um, in the home the changes that we can do at home. And um, because I briefly spoke about there that, you know, the contrast in colors. Now that is really important when we're supporting somebody who's living with dementia. We don't always realize that vision can be impacted. So therefore depth perception and um, color that can be have an impact on a person, how they move about at home, how they perceive things. So if we think about, if you start to see somebody um, coming down the staircase, um, sideways holding on to the banister that can be because they're unsure of where the next step is because if you don't have the, a contrast on the edge of the step 
the trim on the edge there, the person won't necessarily see that there is, you know, where the next step is. So that's how you'll sometimes find people going down sideways. Um, and and it's thinking about that. But the books, it helps guide you through that as well. The threshold from one room to the next. If you've got a dark carpet, you're going to a light floor, you might see a person high stepping because they're unsure of what's there. That even happens in walking across a car park, the white lines there. The person can be unsure, so they might walk right the way along to the end of that line. So we've got the books that explain different areas um, that, we, they, that we can support people. The, another thing that I think is really important for people to know is um, with regards to our bathrooms. If it's all light coloured, you might find that somebody's having difficulties finding where the toilet is. Now, that's because, again, the, the visual changes that are going on. If it's all light coloured, they can't always identify, right, where's the toilet or the sink in relation to others? And we talk about the coloured toilet seat. Now, it used to be that we say, right, a red coloured toilet seat. It has to be um, that it contrasts with the, the floor below and the wall behind, so the bowl. Um, so basically, what that can mean, though, um, in reality at home, if somebody's going in, there was a family I supported, if the gent's going in and urinating on the floor, we don't automatically think we need to think about incontinence aids because it could well be that they can't actually see where the toilet is. So I'd always recommend that people try a coloured toilet seat that contrasts um, so that the person can see where it is and see if that works. Because with this family I supported, they didn't know that all the light bathroom was having that impact on him. So um, then it's about, right, we can see where the toilet is, People coming out and they haven't washed their hands. Can they see the soap? Is it light coloured against light? They won't see that. Sometimes the dispensers, they're alien to the person. So it's working out what is going to work best for that person. So maybe a coloured um, cloth under the soap and then the towel has to contrast against the wall or over the bath. So a bright pink towel against the white bath. Like thinking about that in our own homes. But the resources, the books, they're there. It can be about, um, you know, eating and drinking. Um, it's about um, hospital admission. Uh, it's just there's different books for um, different areas that can be supportive of people. We've also developed a hub as well, and I'll forward that to you as well, John, um, as a link. So, and it breaks down the different you know, different types of dementia, different scenarios, the environment. So different areas and that can be helpful to people as well. But the resources that are out there, Alzheimer's Scotland, they've got lots of different resources there as well. But also knowing that um, to help with um, independence and for people to maintain skills and for people still to get outdoors, that there's also technology um, GPS. So if a person's always gone out for their walks or they live in the, out in the country and this is a part of their routine and we're fearful just in case they go the wrong direction or it's about knowing what's available so that person can till continue with those um, and being independent and still do that that's meaningful to them. So it's it's knowing how to um, tap into what's out there. Now, the technology, um, the resource centre through Alzheimer's Scotland. You've also got um, the mix through social work. There's pressure pads. There's different things and um, alarm systems that just help support people when they're living at, at home. And sometimes people are living on their own as well. But with like the GPS, it, it's kind of it's like knowing where the person is. But it has to be agreed as well. There's ethical issues round about that as well. So it's something to be discussed in the early 
early Absolutely. stages as well. Absolutely, Linda. I think I think we're going to be doing a a podcast specifically around assistive technology and Great. and different things because there's a yeah. lot of new things out there. And, and yes. some things you don't need to have an assessment for, you can just buy in and implement yes. yourself. So we'll be doing that separately. Oh, so fantastic. Th- th- those, are, those are all great tips, um, um, Linda. And uh, we're coming we're coming almost to, to, to the end of this uh, portion, but I wanted to, to ask a question more sort of generally um, about, you know, we, we're hearing a lot about the pandemic and and, and COVID and, and the fact that we're now into a second uh, lockdown. What, what from research that you've been doing and what you've been hearing what's the impact been for people with people with dementia and and their carers what we're seeing and is that you know especially for family carers that respite the resources that contact um socialization everything has has stopped um, so therefore people who have been reliant on the services before um, in many instances no longer have that respite. So sometimes that can be, whether it's daycare, whether it's befriending, whether it's the dementia cafes, it means that there's somewhere for people to go and get that um, that time to themselves, but also for the person who's living with dementia. People get used to the groups they go to. And we, we know and we understand what's going on. But for many people with dementia, they don't necessarily understand why they're not going to that group. Why can't I go out and, and see the people that I, I want to go out? So it's having a bearing on, on family carers because they're they're not getting the support that they were getting before. Now, there's been lots of um, introduction of the online. Um, we've done that ourselves with the carer support group um, or educational workshop. But there's, there's still a big gap in, in the support people have been used to. Um, some people who haven't had so much support before might be getting more now through the online technology. Um, but the, the individuals living with dementia, there's, um, we're seeing that there are changes in um, their abilities um, because they're not, people aren't socialising. And it is um, being in that same space and restrictions on getting out and activity, mobility issues as well. If people aren't getting out and walking about the same. Um, so isolation, um, mood changes in, in mood, um, depression for, for people as well. But it's all it's part and parcel of um, these unprecedented times. It's, it's everybody is all the different services are all trying to change so that we can still provide those levels of support in a different way, but it's still really difficult for, for families. And, mm-hmm. and supporting somebody living with dementia um, can be difficult, um, but I think at the minute, because there's no outlet, there's no other resources, or we're restricted from going for the drive in the car even. For some people earlier on, when you weren't allowed to go out the five-mile radius, then that had a really huge bearing because the person who they're supporting they always went out for drives. So we've seen changes and and, um, levels of frustration as well, um, changes in behaviour because of the the situation people find themselves in at the moment. No, I'm I'm going to only find out really what the impact has been some way down the line, I think. Yeah, very much so, very much so. Okay, we we have a, a kind of tradition in our podcast that we like to end the sections that when we're doing interviews was a sort of a lighter note. So I'm going to ask you a wee silly question, if I'm, if I'm, if I may. What has kept you sane during lockdown? Wow, what has kept me sane? Um, I think my 
my dog and going for walks with her because at the moment I'm stuck in the spare room at the computer. My husband is at the dining table and I can hear him through the wall. Um, you know, we, we don't see people the same like everybody else. But for me, it's just getting out and making that time in the middle of the day, it, just walking through the wood behind us. And it's just, that's kept me sane, I think, because actually you bump into people when you're walking the dog or, you know, it's just a totally different environment. It's fresh air and it's a bit of freedom. Because I think Absolutely. we just feel so enclosed and, um, you know, we've, we've got one another, but it's it's just very different, isn't it? And I think simple things um, and just doing that, it, it, it seems more than it ever did before. It's appreciation, I think, of, of the simple things in life again. And I think certainly doing the walks with a dog, um, it just, yeah, it just brings a smile to my face. And it's just, it's just getting out of stuck indoors um so not an exciting answer but it's it, it helps me, it's good one, yeah absolutely and what and, and, and do you have a favorite box set or or netflix show that you've been watching no i am a property geek i love to look at property and that is something else that in the evenings or whatever it's seeing what houses have come on the market i've always got this dream to move back out to the country mm. never got there yet but um and the disappointment for me is that there was a rush of properties but now it's kind of tailed off so um that's what yeah. i um that's i your, um that's, that's my your thing. guilty pleasure <laughs> it is it is so it's quite sad but that's the yeah, kind of thing that i absolutely that i enjoy <laughs> that's brilliant well can I just say thank you very much, Linda, uh, for giving up your time uh, to take part in this podcast. And uh, we really, really appreciate it. And I hope that um, uh, when things get back to normal, we get a chance to to, to catch up properly. Yeah. And thank you for, for having me along. And I will forward um, different links in that to yourself as well. But thank you very much. And I hope somebody gets something out of the session today. Thank you. So now moving on to the second part of this podcast, I'd like to shift our focus away from general awareness to how support is delivered at the local level. Earlier, Katie and I had a conversation with Michelle Candlish from Curtis. Let's have a listen. So we've we've had a good discussion there about uh, dementia, what it is, uh, what research there is, and and the resources that are available, the strategies that are national. What we want to do now is talk more about the services that are available locally here in Estabanche, and we are delighted today to be joined by Michelle Candlish from Kirtis. Um, so welcome, Michelle. Thank you for coming along to take part in our podcast. Um, First of all, if you could introduce yourself and also say a bit about Kiertis and, and what Kiertis as an organisation does. Uh, hi, thanks for asking me along today. So my name is Michelle Candlish um, and I'm the Dementia Link Worker at Kiertis. Um, been in post for it'll be two years in February. Uh, so Kiertis is first and foremost an advocacy uh, charity. And um, what we do is we help people to get their voice across or to help them get their voice heard. So it could be um, just some examples are people keep receiving care at home or subject to mental health legislation. The advocacy workers will support that person through whatever process they're going through. They'll help them um, prepare 
for meetings. They'll tell them what to expect um, in meetings and they'll make sure that anything that was suggested um, or promised in a meeting, th th those meetings are followed through. So really it's just supporting people to get what they're entitled to. It's not it's not putting words in people's mouths. Um, it's just kind of walking along beside someone and kind of empowering them to get to get what they deserve. I think that's a that's a really good description of advocacy actually because it's a word that a lot of people don't understand and, and might shy away from but it's it's just about getting your voice heard and making sure yeah. things happen. So as a dimension link worker what kind of um, support can you provide or what other support is there that you can signpost people to? So I sort of like to, I, I sort of use this analogy sometimes, like I think being a um, dementia link worker within community is like being the connective tissue between the health and social care services and the public services. So it kind of filtering through sort of everything. And again, I, I suppose, I guess my job is just to support people to live really well with their dementia um, within the community, within their individual setting it's getting to know that person what they're about them individually and then and then pointing them towards the services that they're entitled to like most illnesses a lot of people are presented with something and they've never been in that situation before so they've never they've, most people have never had to ask for help so they just and they, a lot of people don't realize they're entitled to help so um it's just sort of um explaining to people this is what is out there. I actually think East Dumbartonshire is quite well served. Um, but it's just getting to know them, getting to know what's right for them personally, and then pointing, signposting them towards that. So for me, uh, it's always better if I can get someone at the beginning, um, as soon to diagnosis as possible, get them along to the groups, run um, decafes, which are essential, essentially dementia cafes. And um, the reason that they're called decafes is some people are actually put off by coming along because it's, it says dementia. A lot of people stigmatise themselves. They're, they're frightened. They don't want to tell anybody that they've got it. Um, and then once people realise it's not just them, they're in this, this new uh, situation and they're, they're not alone, um, they, they, they tend to get over that. So, yeah, it's just if you can get them at the beginning, then you can support them really well. And I think... A lot of the people that come to decafes don't need um, advocacy and it's because before they get to point, a point where they really need something, they've already ident either identified themselves that they need it or maybe we've nudged them and said, why don't you, you know, maybe you need a, an assessment from social work. This is how you go about it um, and we can kind of like get them to, to get what they're entitled to before it becomes a crisis. And quite often we get phone calls from people that, that haven't um, used the services or, or didn't know that they were there and they've got to a crisis point when when for the maybe five, six, eight years before, they, they could have been more involved and connected with things that they would have made that journey a bit, a bit easier. I'm just, when you're talking there, I'm just thinking about um, when somebody gets that diagnosis, um, the impact not just on the individual but also on the family i mean mm -hmm. what 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 how how do you go about um uh, approaching that kind of situation in that initial do they have particular what what kind of rights do they have for support so when somebody gets um gets their diagnosis at that point of contact 
everybody in Scotland is entitled to one year one-to-one uh, -one with a named person. Now that, that's not my role because I'm in community, but it would be through, the, so for example, in Eastern Bartonshire, it would be through Woodlands or Glencark where, where they would get their assessment. And um, that person would then make that point of contact at first and say and, and talk about it. But it depends where that person's at. Some people embrace, you know, I want to know everything. I want to join everything. I want to get what's what's entitled to me. And some people are maybe just not at, at that point, either don't want to acknowledge it, they're in denial um, or, or, or don't want to acknowledge it. Or for some people that they just feel like, you know, we're private people, we'll we'll deal with this ourselves, you know, we don't want anybody involved. So <laughs> it kind of varies from person to person. The link workers are great um, at telling people about the services that Kirtus offers and, and bringing people, you know, telling people and then they get connected. But it just depends whether that person at that point is ready to connect or not. Some people um, think of oh, going to a cafe, you know, what's that going to do? But then when they come along, they realise it's more than a, a cafe. And for the for our, um, the decafes that we do, and most of the things we do, we allow both the person with dementia or um, cognitive impairment, even if they don't need a diagnosis of dementia, and the caregiver. So it could be like their partner or a friend. Um, they can come on their own. So we allow them to come as well. So that information is empowering both. Empowering both the person living with dementia and the person that's that's I don't always like to say carer because just because your partner would get a diagnosis of dementia, does that take away the fact that you're their husband, wife, partner, and child? You know, um, that's a very a very interesting point. That's one we often come across because we, you know, as, as carers link, obviously we are supporting the carer. Uh -huh. Um and we find that people don't identify themselves as carers and therefore don't ask for the support that they are entitled to and that, that we can provide. So it's that whole thing. It is, you're right, that people don't want to be labelled as dementia. They don't want to be labelled as carer. They're, they are the person that they always were. But it's how to, to encourage them that just those labels aren't meant to, to hold you back. Those labels are actually meant to entitle you to services and therefore get support and, and help you to, to live and, 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 and to get your get the best life you can so I think it's mm -hmm. a bit you know it's something we often come across um, with particularly with carers is, is and we know that there are lots of people out there who are caring for someone and could do with some support and could benefit from support but they don't identify themselves as carers and therefore they don't get the support yeah because I've often thought how would I feel if that was me you know, if it was my husband um, and he he got a diagnosis of dementia, would I be thinking straight away I'm his carer? Or would, you, you know, you, I, I think it's different. Everything's always different for each person, you know, to the individual, their individual situation or, or how they feel about it. But with Carers Link, as soon as if somebody comes in contact with me, one of the first things I'll say to the, if it's the carer, um, are you connected with Carers Link? You know, because I know that they need to be supported and I have that conversation a lot. You know, I'll, I'll say if I identify maybe there's some instances where people are finding situations maybe difficult or challenging. I'll say you need to look after yourself as well. You know, you need to be the best that you can. So, yeah, carers, I think carers like and care to in the jobs being a dementia link worker um, actually parallel each other in importance. Really, because you've got two people in the one house with two different situations, you know, living under the same roof, 
But if, if they're being supported, if both pairs of people are being supported, then that's the best outcome for both. You know, yeah. the person living with the dementia and the, the caregiver or, or, or the, the husband-wife partner or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah. So, Michelle, I think that's an important point about um, working together. Um, I've often thought about, you know, carers Lincoln and carers are, are are two sides of the same coin of mm-hmm. support. Um, and I, I mean, I think it, I suppose my question to you is you know, how important is that kind of holistic approach to supporting not just the person with dementia, but also the whole family? Oh, it's vital. I mean, it's just like you say, you know, both are, are in the same situation but experiencing it from a different viewpoint um, and I think if if they are both if both people are living their best life with, with, uh, and receiving the best care and and have the knowledge that they need um it, it can only be it can only be good it can only be good I mean I can't imagine if if there was no support for either of them, it just would be such an imbalance. So yeah, and I, I think it, it does it complements um, really really well. Because um, a, a, a lot most you can get dementia from a young age, but most mostly people who receive a diagnosis of dementia are elderly, um, the, the majority being so they have other comorbidities you know they could have diabetes arthritis uh, visual impairments um, all manners um, of conditions and that can be for the person who has a diagnosis of dementia and the other person so there's I'll give you one example there's a couple that we support and he is the the lady that, that has a diagnosis of dementia and she jokes that her husband helps her to remember and she helps him to cross the road because he's only actually got sight in one eye and, and he's got, you know, a, a cataract. So his, um, I didn't even know this and I've known them for a couple of years. Um, so, she, you know, they, they complement each other. So, you know, so and, and quite often somebody with a dementia, um, they're, they're a, it's not visual to a lot of people because they could be fit as a fiddle, still go out walking um, a lot, you know, be really physically active. Um, and then that caregiver or the, the, the husband, wife or whatever, you know, they could have mobility problems. So so quite often um, it can kind of work both ways as well. So I think we've talked about the services that, that are available kind of normally. <laughs> But we are not living in in the normal world mm-hmm. at the moment. We're living in in lockdown world. So, how has the the pandemic affected the services that are available for for people with dementia? How how have people adapted? Yeah, so it's it's been quite challenging. Just like I'm sure for yourselves as well, because you're used to running groups face to face, and that's that's where the majority of my work is, like seeing people face to face. And obviously, when the pandemic uh, started, it was like, how do we provide the same level of care and support to people when we can't actually see them? Um, so we did like everybody else, you know, recently started to Zoom. Uh, well, first of all, I think it was welfare calls. We were just phoning people, just checking in. How are you? Um, you know, are you going to get your shopping? You know, have you got support? Have you got family around? Have you got friends? How are you feeling? Uh, so it kind of started off like that and then quickly moved on to Zoom. Um, so we have our decafe meetings over Zoom, but not everybody can use technology. 
So we were missing a, a, a population of people that were coming to the D cafe that, that then weren't coming into the Zoom session. So I was really conscious about that. Like, how do you how do you make it equal? How do you you know meet people's needs? So I started a a newsletter. Um, I started off at two pages. I think the last one was thirty pages. Um, so it's it's kind of grown a little bit. I send them out once a month now instead of maybe every weekly. But there's more content in it. So at the the normal decafes, we would have guest speakers along. So we've had Rose from Carers Link. We've had um, psychologists um, from talking about mental health and, and older age. We've had. Um, people in talking about how to fix your, your hearing aids. We've had all sorts of manners um, of people coming in. So we started the, the Zooms and then the conversations and the things that I was picking up in the Zooms, I was feeding them into the newsletter. So it would be loneliness. It would be, uh, and then I tried to put things in, ideas for things for people to do. So quite often I'll put like a wee quiz or a week in a conversational topic point and I'll say, why don't you phone a friend if you can't get the answers? So for the one this month, I've deliberately not put the answers into one and to prompt people to phone somebody and have that conversation. Um, because I think it's well recognised that a lot of people, um, especially older people since lockdown, they're not mixing as much, so they're not as active, so they're more at risk of having a fall, um, and they're, they're not having that same communication as well, so it's, can, it's really affecting mood. So just trying to um, help people feel included in the newsletter. Mm -hmm. Also, a lot of people have been affected by grief, um, through this period and it's it could, it's not only just grief of people losing people due to COVID, it's grief for people whose loved ones have transitioned into care where they've got a kind of grieving period where that person's not with them anymore and they also, the, the implications of not being able to see um, that person and, and that's been really difficult as well. So just, just putting information in um, also, a couple of people had gone into hospital um, and then so I've put information in it, you know, remember if you go into hospital um, to take in your carer's plan, um, you know, your, your emergency care plan, which uh, you, you prepare for people. So I've just kind of been prompting people, um, remind yourself where that is, update it. And just have it ready just in case somebody goes into hospital at this point because it's unlikely that they're, they're going to be able to visit them. So just, yeah, fed that through the, 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 the Zooms into the newsletter. And then um, I felt like recently this has been going on for so long and it's likely that we're not going to be meeting face to face till at least Easter time. So I've just recently made a few adjustments and I've got a few new groups coming up, like reminiscence, just to get people into conversation talking, things that are happy, things that are not talking about COVID, things that are that are just taking people out of their life or, or the life that we're in at the moment just for an hour. Um, and I love the reminiscence sessions. Um, I learn so much and it's and it's a good laugh a lot of the time as well. So in the reminiscence sessions, I'm just thinking the reminiscence, do you kind of set set the, the topic that people are going to discuss or does it come from the group? 
So we've so this has just been a restructure that will start in November. So right. I just started off with um, we're going to talk about Halloween. What was Hall What did you do in Halloween? Did you do it for apples? You know, did you drop the fork in? Um, and how it's kind of changed. But yeah, if any if anybody had a particular topic, um, yeah, happy to put it in. Always asking people, are you enjoying this? Is this good? Is this what you want to do? What? And if it's a convert, if we started talking about that and the conversation went on to, I don't know. Um, scary movies yeah we would go on to scary <laughs> movies as long as everybody's enjoying enjoying the session because at the end of the day it's not i'm not serving me i'm serving them mm -hmm. um so we've got a playlist for life coming up we've made a, a nice partnership with playlist for life um and just to get people thinking about music and how music can affect your moods and your well-being um i've got a relaxer size coming in so just talking about good mental health good physical health um ways to relax and sort of things that you can do easily within your own home just to increase your well-being and obviously chatting how are you feeling you know because I've been up and down you know I've not found it easy through Covid um, so I think it's quite it's quite useful to have those conversations um, sometimes just acknowledge that it's sometimes okay not to be okay. I think that's a that's a really good point Michelle I mean we we talk about how we're all adapting and um, what we've had to do um, and I'm just wondering, um, and you've already alluded to that. What, how's how's all this impacted on you and your your colleagues at, at Curtis? I think at the beginning, I think everybody felt initially it's like, how are we going to do this? We just felt really helpless. You know, how do we reach how do we reach the people that we serve? You know, if we if we can't see them, if we can't run the groups, you know, and you, you sort of felt well, especially I speak for myself, and I just felt as if I was letting people down. You know, as if you know, but I think I think a lot of people felt like that initially as well because your natural instinct is to do, um, but but we couldn't, but we couldn't. So yeah, I think that's been really difficult. Um, I think it's also been quite difficult has having to transition working from home. I rely on my colleagues. Um, I rely for technical support. I'm not so great with sort of tech. I'm okay, but you know, there's there's certain times I can just shout over and say, um, "Can someone help me with such and such?" And before they're right behind you and you're helping you. I think being from such a small organisation, like we all work to, we're encouraged to work to our strengths, and we know what each other's good at. Um, I think also a lot of the time because we are. Um, we do a lot of group work and we're always like thinking, well, how can we serve people? What can we do? So there's a lot of creativity. And a lot of the time when we're having discussions in the office, you know, someone would maybe come into the conversation and say, oh, have you thought about this? Or, you know, you would just maybe um, just kind of like share ideas about things. So you'd, although we still meet up once a week and we can phone our colleagues and things, you don't have that spontaneity. So that's been a bit of an adjustment. And the technical side, oh my goodness, when your Zoom goes down or you can't get into, you know, like technical issues, that was terrible at the beginning. You know, we had NTL out under our floorboards because there's four people in my house all trying to access internet at the same time. So yeah, there's been lots of challenges, but everybody was in the same boat. Um, so, and I, I think, I, th I think, yeah, I think we've, we've done our best, put it that way, we've done our best and I think we're doing okay and we're serving the people that we serve as best as we can within the, the current situation. And um, so they've managed to, we've managed to start our outdoor walks, which has been good. Um, 
So again, the people who are living with dementia and, and can come along to that as well. Um, and the people that have been going along to that have named it the happy walk <laughs> um, because they just enjoy just, I mean, they're socially distanced, you know, you, um, you've got walk leaders there and people with all different abilities. And I think they just enjoy having something to look forward to where there's other people being outside um, and then just having a chat and a blather. So yeah, they're, they're, we've adapted to quite a few things. So I think I think we're doing okay. You, you've mentioned quite a lot of services. I think it'd probably be, be worthwhile if we just, how, how what's the best way for people to get in touch with, with you or with Kirtis and, and, and get a hold of those the services if they want if they want that support? Yeah, well, we've obviously got a website, www.kirtis, and we've got a Facebook page. Um, through the Eastern Bartonshire Dementia Network, there'll be information on that. Or and the newsletter, um, you know, that I actually send that out to over 200 people a month. So the newsletter goes out to not only the people affected by dementia, I send it out to um, as, as many people working within East, Eastern Bartonshire that, that serve that population. And, you know, say if, share it information in it with other people so um, if they want the newsletter I'm more than happy to either email it to them or um, print it out and post it to them so yeah they can contact us through our website probably Facebook um, and our, or just phone the office um, 01417750433 and we'll um, get that information to them and if they've forgotten that they can contact you and I'm sure you'll let us know. What? Uh, absolutely. I'm just going to say that we'll we'll put all the links, and probably afterwards we'll um we'll we'll, we'll share um, links to resources, um, and we can put them in the uh, in in the show notes. Um, we've had a we've had a bit of a tradition in in our podcast about yeah we talk about particular serious issues. So we this is the this is the silly moment uh, <laughs> that we always do. Oh, um, silly. Good, good. What is mean. the what is the craziest Netflix show you've watched? During lockdown. Netflix show. Um, oh, now the name of it's just gone out of my head, but we, we we were watching a lot of serious things for a while, and we decided we had to watch something a bit silly. And it's oh, what's it called? It's about the, the world has ended, and there's only one guy. Yes, yes. No, I've watched what's it. it called? Well. Um, it's a good place. No, not the good place. No, that's no. a different one then. It's um, that's a good. That's he, one to watch, he, folks. He realizes that there's other people. Maybe it's a good place. No, it's not. No, the good place yeah. is about. Um, it's really weird, and it's about people who. Uh, is it people they think dying? They're in heaven, but they're actually in hell. But it, it's yeah, just, it's, no, I've, wa- I've watched that before. But this other one, oh, I wish I could remember. It's so funny. It's, is it? The, is it the guy from Game of Thrones? Oh, I didn't watch that. Um. um no, okay. That's, that's really never helped everyone. So long to answer, has it? I know, I don't, I'm really annoyed. I'm having a moment where I just can't remember it. But another Michelle, one we've been, what, what we've been watching another one is um is won loads of awards and it's about a, a family that were really rich and they lose all their money. Oh yeah, and then they we know end that. up that's losing, the rude title, isn't it? That's we've the one, yeah. That one before. They, they going... end up, and I can't just as well. I can't remember right. what that's called either. But we've, so we've been watching that as well. So yeah. It's, is that up Greek? Oh, yes, yes. So it is, yes. That, that's <laughs> really good. 
So we've been watching that kind of latterly, but the other one that I can't remember the name was, was way funnier. It was hysterical. Oh, really if, silly. If, if we remember the name, we'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> And actually, do you know one thing I just very quickly want to say? I, I, I get your newsletter and I think people should read it because there's a lovely story in there of the, the hundred and something year old woman who on her bucket list was getting arrested by the police. I just Gangster love that granny. story. Yes. Yeah, that's entitled Gangster Granny. That was um, that was in the news uh, a while back, a couple of years back. I, I was clearing out some things and came across that and I thought, yeah, that's a wee bit, yeah, yeah you need a wee bit of fun in there as well, don't you? Yeah. But yeah, that was great. That's great, Michelle. Well, well, thank you very much for taking some time out of your busy week to uh, to come along and have a chat with us. And uh, and I'm sure we'll we'll end up working again together uh, in the near future. And uh, I'm I, I suppose like you, I'm I'm just waiting till this vaccine uh, comes out so that we can get back to a kind of a new normal. It'll be amazing. It'll be amazing. It's going to be great. Okay, Michelle. <laughs> thanks very much. Okay, thanks for asking me. You're very thank welcome. You. Bye. We are very grateful for Michelle for taking the time out to talk to us. It would be remiss of me if I didn't mention, in addition to the groups and activities that Caritas run, here at Carers Link we have our own carer cafes that support carers of people with dementia. If you'd like to know more about these or you need specific support, then please contact the team. Similarly, if you've been affected by anything mentioned during this podcast, you can call us on 0800 975 2131 or you can send us an email to inquiry at carislink.org.uk. All the additional links and services mentioned during this podcast will be available in the show notes that come with this podcast. If you'd like to share your story of on this podcast or how, or you have maybe a subject that you feel we should be covering, then please get in touch with the podcast team at whatson at carerslink.org.uk. We are looking for themes and ideas for 2021, so please get in touch. That about wraps up this episode, so stay safe, John out. <laughs>